Welcome to Zooming In, a show about the lives and feelings of regular people who are like you and me, people seeking connection and love, people who are just muddling along trying to be human. I'm your host, Sison Kim Simong. This uh, jade pendant that I wear, it, I rarely take it off, except for last year because the string was getting old. But it was, it, for me, it's a connection to the country, but also a connection to my ancestors and to the country that, my, that gave birth to my family, to my, you know, my family trees. There's also this little, like, um, <laughs> little funny uh, quirk that I uh, keep bringing up. It's like, I may have been born and raised here in, in Perth, but I was made in El Salvador. <laughs> this is Rafael, Raf or Rafa for short. Raf is a Salvadorian-Australian, a writer, a comic book lover, and a proud Aspie, or someone with Asperger's. Raf has been involved in the Center for Stories for a few years now, and he's shared his stories and his writing with us. So when we sat down to interview Raf for this podcast, we initially wanted to find out more about what 2020 had been like for him. He had moved into his own place for the first time, out of the family home, right before Western Australia went into its first lockdown. And coming from a really close-knit family, we knew that this would be a huge deal for Raf. And being indefinitely separated from his parents during that lockdown was really, really hard. But the more we chatted to Raf about this, the more we realized that his story actually started a long time ago, in a little town on the other side of the world. And that to really understand Raf, we had to go back to Chinameca. And we had to speak to the two people who started it all, Raf's parents. My dad's name is Tadeo Antonio Gonzalez Espinosa. Then there's my mom. Her name is Marta es- Esperanza Gonzalez Castillo. Marta and Tadeo's story starts in a small town in central eastern El Salvador. It's a place they really love. Here they are telling us about it in their own words. Chinameca is a big town in the hill mostly with coffee plantations. It's the best climate ever that we grew up in, like 12, 25, all the time. We knew everybody there. And when we grew up there, we used to go to the markets every day, like, well, not us, but our parents used to go to the market to buy fresh food all the time. The meat, the, the bread, everything was fresh. One thing that we all did, like at the families, like if we make tamales, which is a big thing for us to make tamales, and we will deliver to all the neighbors if we had. Even, we, we I remember with, we had a huge avocado tree in our house, and it was very special avocados. But then my grandma would say, oh, okay, now we have the avocados. This goes to this, like, this family and this family and this family. So all the special avocados were delivered. Anything that we did, like uh, we had to share it with them. Marta and Tadeo came from different kinds of families. Tadeo was the youngest of 12 kids. In his words, he was born at a good time. Being the youngest meant that he was like a little prince in the family. His sister was even his teacher for a while in primary school. For Marta, life was a bit quieter. She had half-siblings on both her mother and her father's sides, but she was raised by her grandmother. Marta's own mom lived in the next town over, and her dad, Marta says, well, he was a bit of a womanizer. 
and she didn't have much to do with him. Although things within Marta's family weren't picture-perfect, and sometimes she felt a bit lonely, she loved her grandmother a lot. Overall, for Marta and Tadeo, life in Chinameca was pretty idyllic. Marta and Tadeo grew up in proximity. Their families knew each other, and there was a lot of crossover at social events and parties. Tadeo remembers first noticing Marta when they were both really young. Marta was still in primary school, and sometimes her and Tadeo would walk past each other on their way home. I like it because it was so beautiful. Beautiful girl. Is still very beautiful. Uh, has a long hair. Very I nice long, long hair. hair. Uh, also, she was very social, social, social. She was very expressive. Maybe I was the opposite because I was like a shy. Mm, she was more open, more expressive. I was maybe was the the compliment. <laughs> <laughs> it was years before their romance really started. Marta wasn't so sure about Tadeo at first. She remembers one of their first encounters. She had organized a dance for the young people in Chinameca, and Tadeo was there, ready to make a move. He came and asked me to dance, and I said, yeah, I can dance, but uh, I have to see that everybody's doing their shifts and everything. And... But I, I still dance with him. And then this guy came and asked him that if he could dance with me. And she said, yeah, and only once. <laughs> and then I said, yeah, what do you think you are? And then he was holding me like very tight. <laughs> and yeah, since then, that was it. Marta and Tadeo started dating, but they were both still pretty young and they had other plans to consider. Tadeo was studying to be a doctor in Chinameca, and Marta received a pretty life-changing offer for further education. She had planned to move to the U.S. for two years to study business and to improve her English. Before she left, through sheer good luck, or maybe it was good karma, she met this really wealthy American family who took a liking to her and they invited her to stay with them when she got to America. And I, I live like a princess there because they offered me when they came to, when, when I met them where I worked, they said, you can come and live with us. Why do you have to live with one person there? You won't learn any English there. You have to come with us. We had a big family. We had a huge house. So there is plenty of room there for you to come. And, you know, I just didn't want it because I was so scared. <laughs> How am I going to live with us? people and uh, what am I going to do? I went even and did some courses on etiquette and, and blah, 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 how to do did things and how to, <laughs> to do all that stuff. <laughs> the thing is, when I got there, there was so nice, there was no, nothing to worry about. I couldn't have a better life. But uh, it was my luck that uh, I, I, I lived in the U.S. with billionaire family. And, and the, the man of the house, he, he always told me, don't be stupid, don't go back to El Salvador. I'm going to find you a very rich man. <laughs> Marta was really living the good life in Ohio, but she never really saw herself there long term. 
Maybe it was Chinameka calling her back, or more likely it had something to do with the young medical student patiently waiting for her to return home to him. It was 1977 when Marta and Tadeo finally got married. Marta got pregnant not long after with their first daughter, Anna. And three years after that, they had their second daughter, Raquel. Tadeo was working as a GP, and Marta was managing projects for Save the Children. They had a good couple of years, settling into life as a young family. While Marta and Tadeo were living this quiet family life, their country was falling apart. The Salvadoran Civil War started to unfold, and at first they managed to carry on with business as usual. But it didn't take long before the conflict started to hit close to home. As a GP, Tadeo would often have soldiers from the military storm his surgery and demand to see his patient files. They were worried that he was providing medical assistance to the guerrilla forces, the other side. Sometimes the military would even search Marta and Tadeo's house, looking to confiscate any medical samples that might be used to treat the enemy. But it wasn't just Tadeo who was in danger through his work. Even, even with my work, I was always in danger. Like I, I had to go to see all the projects in the communities. And it can be like a, one minute we could be like in a meeting with the uh, people and then the gorilla will come and and then we had to run or whatever we could hide. But still, we thought if other people survive, we can survive. And we knew danger was there every day. After a while, things got a bit too close to home. Remember how I mentioned before that Tadeo had an older sister who was once his primary school teacher? Her name was Maria, and she was married to this guy called Felix, affectionately known to Marta and Tadeo's daughters as Felix the Cat. Maria and Felix were like parents to Tadeo and parents-in-law to Marta. But Felix was the rector at the University of El Salvador, and he was really outspoken. He criticized the government a lot. And the girls, they called him Papi. Papi. Papi Gato. Papi Gato. <laughs> no, because Felix the Cat, you know. Felix the Cat. We were so close with them because when the Deus parents died, then they took us on the wings. So they were like a, a Parents-in-law, we went with them everywhere. On the 28th of October, 1980, Felix was stopped in his car, a few steps away from the University of El Salvador. He was killed in a targeted machine gun attack. This was devastating, not only for Felix's family, including Marta and Tadeo. It was a huge loss for the whole country. Even today, Felix's murder is considered a symbol of the dark times, a reminder of the state repression in El Salvador that will continue until the 1990s. It also made Marta and Tadeo consider their own safety and wonder if they needed to leave the country that they loved so much. Then is when we started, because before, we never, uh, as I I said, we, we never even thought about leaving El Salvador. I said... Tadeo at that point had three jobs. Uh, we were not in politics. In, in, that's why we thought we, don't, we are not in danger. But really, it, you don't need it to be uh, a politician there or 
we, you were in danger no matter what, in which other side you went into. Mm -hmm. So it was so hard when we had to decide. It took six years before they finally made their decision. Situation was getting worse and mm -hmm. worse. And like there were people die, like a killing people mm. every day, like with thousands of people appearing mm. and like up everywhere on the streets. And people getting killed in their house, families disappearing completely, like a, mm. we never saw them again, complete families. And then we thought, oh my God, this is never going to improve. And then we started thinking, lots of families were like flying from everywhere. And then is when we started thinking, I think we better start. After we decided that we had to leave, uh, we had to choose Sweden, Canada, Canada and, Australia. and Australia, because I already had said no to US. But when Australia came as an option, I thought that Australia was the best place to come because it was far away and too expensive for Tadeo to go back to El Salvador. Marta and Tadeo had to decide where they wanted to go. Marta had this ongoing connection with the millionaire family in the U.S. who offered to sponsor them to live in Ohio. It was a really tempting offer, but she knew that if Tadeo was close to El Salvador, he was going to try and go back as soon as he could. This was the key difference between them. Although it was still hard for Marta to walk away from Chinameca, from her home, she was far more willing to let go than Tadeo was. For Tadeo, leaving behind his big family was really, really hard. And this is kind of why they chose Australia, because it was so far away, they couldn't just go back. I knew nothing about Australia. Very scary. Very scary, but mm -hmm. it's no. like a challenge. Unknown, um, I take it as a challenge. Um, also, the people go to USA or... Canada, they have a song, families. But here we are not. No, we need nobody. Nobody. But it didn't take Marta and Tadeo too long to settle into the laid back Aussie lifestyle. But what I liked the most is it, it was quiet and there were not too many people. <laughs> and the best is after six months, then I went to Fremantle. <laughs> and so the people very relaxed with no, no shoes on wow <laughs> they impressed me and I said yeah why not and I put away all my heels the bag of shoes that I I, I brought a bag of high heels yeah. brand new ones my collection. And, so, so. and I never worn them. So I said, no way that I'm going to wear them. So I only left the black ones. And the rest take, took them to St. Vincent de Paul. <laughs> For me, it was like liberation. Marta was pregnant with Raf on the trip to Australia. 
That's why he always says he was made in El Salvador, even if he was born here. When Raf talks about this period of time, you can tell that he sees it as his story, too. From what I was told, it was a very long process, like very long to get the um, approval um, from the embassies to and for the migration pay, to be approved. And I think things were just escalating at the time with the war. So a lot of people probably at the time were also walking on eggshells or were very sus about each other. They didn't know how to, who to trust. And mostly we just stick to our family and only some of our close friends. So around that time, and I think my mom was very stressed at the time because she was pregnant with me. So Raf's parents had to decide where they were going to go. Martin knew that Tadeo would just go back to El Salvador if he had the chance. So they considered Australia. They knew some other Salvadorians who had already migrated here. And most importantly, it was really, really far away. They were also looking at possible places. So they thought, oh, maybe we can go to Queensland because the climate's similar to our, to El Salvador. It was like from El Salvador, from San Salvador all the way to Los Angeles, which was a long trip. Then um, getting into Australia, we had, they said that Queensland was uh, bo- fully booked. Like they couldn't bring any more into Queensland. So then by the time we get to Sydney, there's like, oh, you can either go there or in Perth. Well, they didn't really think much about Perth at the time, but Sydney was the one people have heard about. I think my dad was told by some people in the area who were, who lived in there, it's like, oh, Perth. Perth is a mining town. It's quite, it's, it's boring. It's very isolated. Nobody will, but, and then I thought, and then I think everyone's like, well, it's perfect because at least it's further, the furthest away, the better. Marta and Tadeo settled their family in Hamilton Hill. It's an old suburb located about 20 kilometers from the CBD of Perth. It's right next to Fremantle, and it's the place where Marta saw the laid-back, barefoot Aussies, and she was inspired to ditch her high heels. The family was living here when Raf was born. Back then in 89, I think, when you think of Hammy Hill, um, Hamilton Hill, it's not a very pleasant uh, neighborhood. I mean, there are some areas, of course, but then, of course, there are those who are I even I know from reputation, but back then in '89, it was the one temporary stopover for a lot of uh, fresh migrants who need a place to stay, and so that was how it was for a while. And even two months later, I think, because this was April first, so April was probably they were just settling in. My sisters were settling into school because I think Anna was probably almost ready to go to high school soon. So. So after I was born, my dad waited in front of, in the apartment. And when my sisters were coming, walking home from school, and she was like opening the windows, like <laughs> signaling, oh, come here, come here, Mira. <laughs> and it's like, and telling them that I was born, that it's a boy, that, it, um, that I was healthy and that he will go and take them. He didn't want anyone else to tell them but him. I don't really know many of the details because I only know secondhandedly all the stuff that happened in 89, like the Berlin Wall and, uh, well, let's see, Baywatch started up. But I, I, did, a, I did my homework <laughs> on what happened in 89. In the next episode, we'll hear more from Raf, a Salvadoran kid growing up down under. This podcast was produced by the Center for Stories on Wajak Noongar Buja in Western Australia with generous funding from Lottery West. The Center for Stories believes in storytelling as a way to build more inclusive communities. Special thanks to our storytellers for this episode, Marta, Tadeo, and Rafa. And to our production team, executive producer Kara Jensen-McKinnon, 
Audio engineer, Mason Velios. Scripting and interviewing by Sison Kim Simang and Claudia Mancini. Head to centerforstories.com to listen to more stories or to make a tax-deductible donation. Thanks for listening.